Hi, everybody. Good morning. I'm really excited today, more excited than usual Sundays when I'm speaking up here because actually I spent all half my energy when the youths were out there, uh, our youths were out there uh, smiling at me when I came in. Uh, most of our youths are here and then some youths were up there, usually quite awkward, but um, some were smiling, some were looking like that. But I was, <laughs> I was standing there and then closing my eyes and I felt like um, it has been my privilege to have been part of their lives and having them open their lives to me, to mine, and, um, and mine to them. Uh, we have a great bunch of youths, and uh, we, we hardly see them. We see our kids, you know, kids' church coming at 12, but we never see them. So right now, they're visual. You've seen them, and later on at the coffee table, hopefully you have a chat with them, tell them, uh, ask them what's happening, tell them how you like your coffee exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and, and, and they'll do it. So yeah, let's hope that we have more opportunities to see our youth, to see themselves, um, and to bloom and, and blossom in, in where God has placed them. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so proud of you guys. Sorry, I thought you were excited, so. <laughs> okay, I'm going to um, start up my computer, and um, we'll start. Before I start, um, let us pray. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us today. And Lord Jesus, help us be able to rest in what you have done for us. And Holy Spirit, come and convict our hearts of what you want us to be hearing today and obeying. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I've changed my sermon because it's you focused. So right off the bat, I'm going to be actually turning quite often this way because that's my focus today. I'm going to tell you what my talk is about today. It's about freedom. And in Galatians 5.1, which Tabitha read, we, she read that, for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What I do, if you may be familiar, is that when I'm speaking up here, I take us through the Bible passage of the day, verse by verse and line by line. But just for our use today, I'm going to do something different. Uh, I'm going to take one idea, just one idea from our Bible passage from Galatians, and we're going to help us think through it. So we'll be thinking about freedom. And for that, we'll break it down, let's break down this idea into a, a few parts. Firstly, let's, let us ask ourselves, what is freedom? How do we define it? What does it mean to be free? And secondly, free from what? And free to do what? And finally, we look at the practical implications of what this freedom mean, means, that's this freedom that has been given to us, and how it impacts our lives, or how it should impact our lives. There are people up there. <laughs> okay, uh, what is freedom? And it's now time to do an audience participation activity, which everybody can do, even those online, okay? Um, there's nobody online. I can see people. There are no people online. Well, all right. In the next few seconds, I'm going to throw out a few single words. And what I need you to do is to close your eyes and picture the word in your mind, right? Easier. Yeah? So, now, close your eyes. If you're ready, just put a thumbs up. 
even those online. Yeah? Okay, I'll start with the easy words first. So, bicycle, windmill, dolphin, sunflower, football, running, laughter, anger, Tears, justice, freedom. All right, now open your eyes. Okay, the first few words were quite easy, right? Um, Benjamin, when I said football, what do you see? Uh, he plays football. A what? A Liverpool match or something. Liverpool? Yeah. Oh, flag. Player. What's that? Player. A Liverpool player. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, well, Aaron, you're smiling, so I have to pick on you. I'm sorry. Um, anger. What do you see? She struggled with when it came to anger. I could see her face. Um, you know, when the, I, I was watching some of your faces, and uh, you, you had different expressions on your faces for, for different words. And is anyone brave enough now? The youth, they're off the hook, brave enough to share what they saw when I said freedom. Pam, Pam, yeah. Pamela saw somebody with their hands in the air and broken chains. Are there more people with, with images? You, know, I, you can just, for me it didn't work because I, if I talked to myself, I knew the words that were coming, I had nothing, so. <laughs> um, well, I, my guess is if I were to ask all of you who managed to conjure up an image in your mind and describe it, chances are that none of the images are exactly the same. That's because not only is freedom a concept, it's also highly personal, and it also touches a base emotion in us. Like, for example, if I ask one of our teenagers what they think freedom is, and then I go, to, go and ask your parents, well, chances are I suspect we're gonna have pretty different opinions what freedom is. So how and where are we supposed to find a workable definition of freedom? that all of us can agree to. Guesses? I propose we go to the well-known authority in this field. Any guesses where? Dictionary? Google, somebody else said Google. No, nope, it's not Google. We are going to Disney. All right, next time. Neil, if your, your parents ask you why are you watching Disney at Pixar, Neil has watched every Pixar and, and Disney film, he says, um, just say, I'm doing research, right? So, we're going to the Disney animated film, Frozen. Now, is there anyone here who has not heard of this film, Frozen? Well, anyone who has come in contact with any little girl of five-year-old in the last 10 years would have heard of Frozen. 
I have a girl at home, we have a, we have a daughter at home, and uh, we have a frozen doll, we have frozen books, DVDs, um, even the frozen Lego castle. So, and I know the lyrics of every frozen song by heart. So, but um, while well, some of us don't have, don't have cousins, don't have, don't have nephews, uh, nieces, uh, if you've had the fortune of being acquainted with this classic, let me give you a short rundown of what is this. So, the plot of the movie. There's this princess. Name? Elsa. See, I told you they know. Um, and she discovers she has magical powers. She can freeze things and create ice. But as a young girl, she accidentally hurts her younger sister with this power because she has, doesn't yet know how to control this gift. So, she voluntarily goes into self-isolation because she's afraid of hurting somebody again with this power. And well, as Disney, her parents die, she ascends the throne, and on her coronation day, she lets her slip her power. So her secret is revealed. She's called Monster, you remember that scene? And then she runs away to the snowy mountains. So there's a scene of Elsa in the mountains when she's figured, she's had it, she's had it with hiding her secret. And then she starts to sing. Now you're gonna picture her in the... And she says, It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Right now. I thought myself was not gonna sing. Um, so you, you can say what you want about Disney, but I think Disney has been very accurate here in, in identifying the current popular culture of what it means to be free. Freedom in popular culture means my right to choose and to decide for myself. In popular culture and in general, I'm just saying general, in the Western mindset, having rules only serves to inhibit my true self. Any type of stereotype, any restrictions, including gender and physical stereotypes, they must be abolished. And because now there are no right, no wrong, no rules for me, what do I do? I must follow what feels right for me. So our feelings have become the defining factor as to who I am, what I need to be doing, and what I am to become. And not only that, because I have to follow my feelings, right? My feelings, they take priority over every, anything else. Nobody and nothing else should be telling me otherwise. No government authority, no parental authority, and especially not this transcendental spiritual authority who actually I'm not even very sure exists. So, let's just do a quick survey among us how often in our Dutch society we've come across this I-centered way of thinking. I will quote you three phases, phrases from actual conversations I've had with people and if you've ever had this said to you, all you need to do is just finger obstacle, raise your finger, just to see how, how many of us had this experience. Okay, the first one. You you can choose for yourself. You Nobody said that. Just a few. Um, do what feels best for you. You yourself know what's best for you. So, 
I suspect there are more people who have had it but haven't stuck up their fingers, or maybe the translation didn't quite work out. But so let's, on this basis, shall we agree on this definition? This is a proposed definition of freedom. So freedom means being able to choose for ourselves in a manner which makes us feel best, without regard to without any regard to restrictions, physical or otherwise. Okay. Well, well, don't get me wrong. Empowerment is a wonderful thing. In general, the, the Western individualistic society, they try to instill this idea into young kids um, from like, you know, two, because my child came back from Proto Spilzau and, and I said, put on your jacket, not I can choose for myself, it's, it's winter outside. But okay, I was a bit shocked, but she was two years old. Um, so, because uh, I come up from a Western, I grew up from a Western uh, Asian society, but it says uh, Asians, on the other hand, says, no, you, you go away until you're married or you're out of the house. Of course, this is a very generalized picture, but for the individualistic society, the danger is that such empowerment methods could very quickly lead to a me-centered worldview and this false sense of being in complete control of our own lives. I am the master of my own life. Nobody tells me what to do. Of course, that's false. Who are you kidding? Whether we are aware of it or not, we are constantly being told what to do. When you watch a video from the vlogger, they're not called influencers for no reason. And or when, say you're playing an online game, and then up pops an advertisement. What do you think they're trying to do? Or even when you watch a Disney movie. So just drop the nobody tells me what to do. Just because it's a false illusion of being in control. Everyone and everything around us is telling us what to do. So the wise thing is to decide which voice you want to be listening to. In the first few pages of scripture, this eye-centeredness resulted in a series of very bad decisions from Adam and Eve, and with the repercussions that we are still feel feeling now. Well, but apart from the fact that the Bible warns us against the dangers of being the master of your own life, even if you do not believe the Bible, we know in our hearts that this no right, no wrong, no rules for me, it isn't a workable definition of freedom. Like, I feel like flying today. Go jump off a building and see what happens. Or I feel like eating 100 burgers today. What happens? Try that, you'll either be very sick or you have no more pocket, pocket money to buy anything else for the rest of the month, or both. Well, and even if we didn't have physical restrictions for our freedom, we know that if everybody exercises their freedom in any manner that they want, that means in most cases, we would be restricting somebody else's freedom. Right? I remember in the height of COVID, the French President Macron, he went on national television, he looked right in the camera, and he said uh, to the anti-vaccinators saying, your freedom, he said in French, I don't know how to speak French, your, your freedom to choose not to be vaccinated becomes my restriction. All right, we still do not have a workable definition of freedom. But however, we have established at least one thing, 
Elsa is wrong. <laughs> Freedom doesn't mean no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Therefore, the, for me, the next logical step is to find a definition of freedom within the bounds of some right, some wrong, some rules for me. Sensible? Now, but here we come to the difficult part. Who's right, who's wrong, who's rules for me? My own set of rules according to how it, what it feels, it feels good and right. But we've already said it's not workable nor is it consistent. Because firstly, our feelings change as often as the wind blows. As often as the co a compliment I, I give you, Pamela, your hair looks great today. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, yeah, or like, oh, what's that? You're very good. So your, your feelings go up and down. And, and then secondly, we've already said before, if one, what if one person has one set of rules and the, the other person has another set of rules? Like Macron has his own rules. The anti-vaxxers, they have their own rules too. What then? So I'm proposing the solution to all you thinkers out there. And you need to kind of listen carefully to follow my logic. If the Christian narrative is true, that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, and that the Christian narrative also says that this God is not a transcendental God in the clouds, that he is a personal God who in the person of Jesus Christ has walked the journey that you are on and we are on and has gone through the entire spectrum of human experience and emotion and who loved us so much that he suffered and died for us on the cross to open up the way for us to have a relationship with the creator God of this universe. And this is the God who says, before you were born, I knew you. The God who says, my eyes saw your unformed body while you were still in your mother's womb. The God who knows the very number of hairs you have on your heads, some more than others. <laughs> I can say that because my husband has no hair. Um, <laughs> well, this, if this is, and this is the God who is constantly holding out his hands to us saying, come to me all, you are, all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So if this Christian narrative is true, then this is the God I want to follow. Jesus is the guy I want to follow. Why? If the Christian God were all-knowing, but not all-loving, I don't want to follow him because I'm not sure if he truly has my interests, my best interests at heart, right? All-knowing, not all-loving. On the other hand, if God is all-loving, but not all-knowing, I don't want to follow him either. I love my children to bits, but I'm not all-knowing. So I may still advise the wrong things, uh, advise them to do the wrong things. And to me, the person and the character of the Christian God in combination is so complete and so attractive that it would be illogical and silly for me not to trust him, but rather to trust in myself with all my limitations of intellect, of understanding, of strength, of power, not to mention my yo-yo feelings, which tell me one thing one day and tell me something else the other day, the next day. So, I know there are lots of technical people among us, so I thought of a technical example. Imagine you're an engineer. 
you create this machine, you write the instruction manual, how to operate the machine, and you send it to the end user. After a while, the machine starts acting funny as they do. Something not right with it. So the end user, he starts tinkering with the machine, tries this, puts a patch on that, patch. It works well for a bit, but then it starts acting up again. As end user, what, is, what makes more sense? You try to fix the machine yourself, or do you go to the instruction manual and call the engineer? God is the master engineer of this entire universe, and the Bible is his user manual. Why is it that when a machine breaks down, we have no problems running to the, to the, user, the user manual, no problems calling the engineer, but when it comes to our lives, we don't even think about checking the user manual and calling upon God? What is the logic in that? Uh, I know maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, but how do I know that the Christian narrative is true? I'm not even sure if there's a God, much less someone who engineered all, all of this. Oh, you need to join the Alpha course. <laughs> That's my talk for Alpha. But all our youths have now gone through once and they all gave a thumbs up for the Alpha course. But I will answer that question with another question. How would you know if the cup of water in your hand is sweet or bitter unless you drink from it? Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jump into the, jump into the swimming pool. We had the swimming pool image, right? So I'm proposing this definition of freedom that I think is consistent for all, workable, and creates the best universal good. Ready for it? So freedom is living under the lordship of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and self-sacrificing God who gives us the power and ability to do so by the Holy Spirit that God himself gives to us. Oh, that's my definition. You can come out with another one yourself. Drink coffee. So... My second point, now we are free. Free from what and free for what? We need to go to Galatians again. Paul's letter to the Galatians was written to Jews who had become Christians. Christians, followers of Christ. So under Judaism, as you know, Jews had to follow a gazillion ceremonial rules. They had to observe what? Kosher, keep the Sabbath, offer sacrifices. And here in Galatians, they were talking about circumcision, favorite topic among boys. But, um, and then also, they keep another 600 rules to be, to be right with God. But then, when these Galatians became followers of Christ, of Jesus, all they had to do is to believe that Jesus paid it all for them on the cross. And so, that by, by that, they were made right with God. That, that was it. But then some people came in among the Galatians and said, no, 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 you need to believe in Jesus Christ plus follow all these rules. So, of course, Paul is very, very upset. Of all the epistles he wrote, the language and tone of voice he uses in Galatians was the most harsh of, of, of all of them. But there was a reason why Paul was harsh, because what was at stake was not merely a preference of saying, you know, having an electric guitar or just um, playing the organ during worship. 
was just not a mere preference. This issue went to the core of our salvation because he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ plus is no gospel at all. It's not even good news because there is nothing no one can do that we can add to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's the gospel. We have nothing to boast about except to boast in Jesus Christ. Our own actions, however good, will never be good enough. But the good news that Paul is telling us in Galatians that we are free from trying to fulfill the requirements of the law. We can stop trying to be good enough. So I don't have to constantly perform to meet God's standards because as a child of God, God's standards have already been met on my behalf through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but it's incredibly freeing to be working to achieve God's standards because you want Him to be pleased with you rather than be working because you need to gain His approval. And it's the same with you and your parents. Most likely, your parents have high expectations of you and they've also set really high standards for you, in your opinion. But you also know that they are, un they are not going to stop loving you just because you have not reached their standards or got to that nine or the test. You're and once you are assured that their love for you is unconditional and it does not depend on your grades or your behavior, you want to do what you want to do, what you want to please them, right? And this working to please them no longer is a chore that you feel like, oh, you need to fulfill, but it becomes a joy because you're assured in that love. And finally, since we are free from performance standards, does it mean that we're free to not do anything at all? Well, the answer is actually staring us in the face in Galatians 5, 13 to 14. Because I'm sure none of you have Bibles open, well, a few of us. I'll read 13 and 14. Galatians 13 says, For you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So God made man in his image for a number of purposes. And one of the purposes is, I'm sorry to say that and let you know, it is for work. In fact, in Genesis 1.28, God's very first command to Adam and Eve was to what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. I don't know how you, I don't know if you've done gardening or not, but subduing a garden is work. <laughs> and you think, okay, that's too nebulous. I, I need more proof. Galatians 2.15, it's even more clearly stated. It says there, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So, I'm sorry to tell you that work is a given, even in the pre-fall paradise state of the Garden of Eden. But Galatians 5.13 also warns us that we can either work for ourselves, he says for the flesh, or to work to serve another in love. But this work to serve each other, it is not oppressive because Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Paul tells us that it is the Holy Spirit in us who will enable us to walk in the freedom of service to God by loving others rather than living in bondage to our own destructive desires. And that Paul lists which Tabitha read a whole list of in uh, verse 19 to 21. 
So such a life lived free in Christ will produce the fruit of the Spirit. That was in 22 to 23. I'm asking you, isn't that such a beautiful picture of what our lives could look like? A life of meaning, of purpose, free from fear, of performance appraisals, and characterized by love for people around you. And your whole life is glowing from the fruit of the spirit of Galatians. It is evidenced by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that, a bit, is that a life that you can imagine? This is the beauty of living a life of freedom in Christ under the enabling and transformative power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own strength. And I'm saying to you that if this is what you want for your lives, and perhaps for your loved ones, tell them, let them know that God is holding his arms towards you, towards them. He's inviting us to come as we are. Come, empty-handed, nothing to prove, no Jesus plus, just Jesus Christ, without pretense, and to rest in the knowledge that you can stop running for approval because God in the person of Jesus has already paid the price for us in full by his death on the cross. I'll just stop for a minute. Perhaps we can all bow our heads, chew on that. If God brings images in your mind, just talk to him. And after a minute, I'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want this life of meaning and purpose. Please make it, please help me make it easy to love and serve others. I'm tired of running for approval. I don't want to do it anymore. Neither do I want to add on to what Jesus Christ has already done for me. I just want to rest in you. Come Holy Spirit into my life to help me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.